North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. From overseas tonight, new images of North Korea's Kim Jong-un after a mysterious three-week absence that sparked rumors he was gravely ill. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. Today on The Impossible State, we're talking with my colleague and co-host, Dr. Victor Cha, and Joseph Bermudez Jr., who is the most important satellite image analysis person to CSIS, who helps us get all the scoops that you see when you see all the uncovered missile bases and all the other things that we've been publishing about what's going on in North Korea and Iran and other places. Welcome, guys. First, I want to ask you, Victor, what's going on? Do we know what's happening with Kim Jong-un? Well, I think we do now. And part of it is also because of uh, satellite imagery work that Joe has done. I want to agree with you first about Joe. I like to describe him to uh, friends as the LeBron James of satellite (laughs) imagery uh, analysis people. So hopefully most of the listeners. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So after 20 days of being absent, he uh, showed up at a fertilizer factory in Sunchan, Looking none the worse. That, that would for be wear. Kim Jong Un, not Joe. Right. Yeah. Kim Jong Un. Yeah. Kim. Right. Okay. <laughs> Showed up at this uh, the opening of this fertilizer factory in Sunchan. He had been gone for twenty days. He looked really none the worse for wear. There's been some speculation that maybe he had some sort of medical procedure. But going back, this just speaks to how you know we know so little about the North Korean leadership right the health of the North Korean leadership is the most closely guarded secret in the hardest intelligence target in the world and so when there was all this speculation about whether he's alive whether he's dead i think most of the people who are practiced in this did not speculate we basically said we just don't know and we'll know when we know either he'll show up or either they'll make an announcement that he's dead and so he showed up he's alive There is some interesting questions about what the role of his sister now, because his sister seems to have uh, been elevated in her position from what we can tell from, you know, the photos and how they sit together at these at these events and things. She seems to have definitely taken on a larger role. But there is, you know, the question of that naturally comes up whenever North Korea shows footage of whether you know, did this really happen or was this from another time or something? And um, thanks to Joe's uh, work, we were able to look at earlier imagery from January 2020 of that same fertilizer factory. You know, it's clearly at a different stage now in terms of the work that's been done. Same footprint, but different stage now in terms of the finished product. So, you know, these were not images from or, or video footage from some time long ago. They appear to be current. So we know it's him. We don't think it's a body double. There's been all kinds of rumors out there. You're fairly certain this is our guy, Kim Jong-un. Well, first of all, that'd be a tough body double to double. <laughs> yeah, sure would. <laughs> they broke them all when they made they him, They broke right? them all. That, that's for sure. You know, I guess nothing is impossible when it comes to North Korea. That's why we call it the impossible state. You know, but everything that, you know, we've seen thus far... It appears as though he's um, he's back and that uh, he is in fairly good health. Perhaps they were avoiding coronavirus uh, being out in one sun out on the east coast of the peninsula that, at that resort. We don't know for sure. 
Right, but that that's a plausible explanation that you know because we don't we don't really know the extent that coronavirus has taken over North Korea, do we? No, no, we don't. You know, North Korea has stated publicly that they have no confirmed cases. They said this when the Middle East respiratory syndrome hit in 2015. They said this when severe acute respiratory syndrome SARS hit in 2003. They said it when Ebola came. You know, this is sort of their standard playbook, but you could even see of the footage of the visit to the Sinchon fertilizer factory uh, that the crowd that they had staged there were all wearing masks. Um, and then a lot of the NGOs that operate on the border are reporting that um, at the local level, local officials are giving lectures to the citizens about coronavirus and about the need to socially distance and things like that. And they've also asked for help from South Korea and from the WHO with regard to test kits and things. So it's hard for me to imagine it's not in the country. It's all over Asia. And uh, North Korea is, even though it's fairly isolated, the one country they are relatively open to is China. Uh, which, you know, creates a unique transmission vector. So I think it's very likely that there is coronavirus in the country and, and probably not insignificant in terms of the numbers. And goods and services coming in and out of China every day to North Korea, correct? Yeah, that that's true. The Chinese have closed their side of the border uh, recently, which has actually delayed the uh, transport of some COVID-19 support, like test kits and, and materials. But yeah, but this is the main traffic, the main interaction with the outside world for North Korea is through China. Uh, and of course, China was the first and the earliest in cases where the, where the coronavirus originated. And so while other cities and communities were shutting down, starting to shut down in January and February in terms of travel with China, you know, whether it was Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea, Vietnam, you know, North Korea wasn't. And so it's really difficult to imagine that it's not in the country. And of course, they don't have ventilators. They don't have isolation wards. Uh, they have a very poor health infrastructure. So, uh, I, you know, I'd be worried if there was a large outbreak of this because I don't think they could contain it. All right. I want to bring LeBron James, a.k.a. <laughs> Joseph Bermudez Jr. into this discussion. Joe. You showed this week in some breaking satellite images that, you know, went all over the world that despite all the confusion about Kim Jong-un's health, North Korea has been continuing to expand its missile capabilities. And in particular, you showed us a missile base, right? What I showed everyone was a missile support facility that is under construction just west of Pyongyang. Uh, it's not a missile base. There's a distinct difference between a ballistic missile operating base, and a support facility. This particular facility uh, began construction probably mid-2016 and has continued uh, until today. And if they keep up at the current rate of construction, and we're not really sure that they will, because as Victor was saying, there is COVID-19 in North Korea. Whether this will affect this particular project, we don't know. Uh, it's likely to be finished by the end of this year, beginning of next year. What we can tell at present from as we watch the construction process, and as you do that, you can see how the internal components of a building are built. And as you do that, and with experience, you can tell that this was designed for flow-through uh, operations. 
The wide radius turns are typical of facilities that have very large trucks, or in this case, missile transporters. And most particularly, there's one very large, in fact, the largest building at the site, that has what we call a high bay building. Imagine a large warehouse type structure. In the center, you take a, a, a rectangle and you expand it up really high. Well, this is another indication of ballistic missile type operations. So what you would do and what we postulate will happen here is that components of a ballistic missile or a completed ballistic missile will be pulled into this larger building and could be raised to the vertical position. Uh, one of the reasons you want to do this is that, you know, you assemble a missile in a horizontal position. Uh, that means everything works in the horizontal position, but you really need to raise it to make sure nothing shakes loose, all the cables are tied down, all the piping is tight, and you pressurize it to make sure everything is sealed and uh, capable of actual operations. The other thing you want to do when you raise it to the vertical position, or actually in the process of raising it, you want to train your ground troops. It's just not uh, that a missile works automatically. You have to have troops that test it before it's raised. They have to test the launcher before anything uh, happens. Well, you can now do this in complete secrecy. In this case, com complete concealment. And that's a major part of any missile operating force. So this, this facility, and we're not sure exactly what it'll be used for, could be used for assembly of ballistic missiles because there are a number of missile component manufacturers in the Pyongyang area. It could be used for testing previously assembled ballistic missiles. It could be used for training not only ground troops to handle the launcher, but to test and launch the missile. It could be used for maintenance of missiles that have already gone out to the field, but are now back and require maintenance. I mean, just like any other piece of equipment, ballistic missiles need maintenance. Uh, and instead of sending it back to the factory, which is a challenge for the factory, you send it to a missile maintenance facility. Those are the main things, and it can be used for any combination of those. So this is important because it continues to show that North Korea is serious about its missile capabilities and about keeping all those things going, right? Absolutely. It shows an intent to not only maintain but to expand North Korea's ballistic missile capabilities as a whole. Uh, a facility like this, assuming it's just used for maintenance and training, is a key component to a, a viable, robust ballistic missile force. Now, you can see these, our listeners, you can see all these images at CSIS.org, which takes you to the Beyond Parallel microsite, where all these images and other images that we've studied over the last several years are housed. But Victor, what does this tell you, you know, Joe's analysis, what does it tell you about the larger U.S.-North Korea relationship at this point? Well, I think it tells us a couple of things. The first is that North Korea may be interested in having made-for-TV summit meetings with the U.S. president and be interested in uh, a lifting of sanctions but they are going to continue to pursue the objectives they're going to pursue with things like this ballistic missile program. 
you know, the, there are a whole series of these bases and support facilities uh, arrayed all the way up the peninsula on the northern side. They've largely gone untouched, unfettered by any sort of international oversight or regulation for decades. I mean, the closest we got to a missile deal with North Korea was back during the, Clinton, the last year of the Clinton administration. And since then, we've not even touched the missile program. So, you know, this is a big blind spot in terms of the overall policy. And it shows that North Korea is, has been quite successful at pursuing this with limited resources, but still quite successful at being able to pursue these programs. I think the second thing it shows is that you know, may, I assume they didn't want for these facilities to be seen. But the fact that they're building them in, in the open also tells me that for the rest of this year, I'm not really expecting any diplomacy uh, between the U.S. and the DPRK. I mean, if I were North Korea, I'd want to wait to see the outcome of the U.S. election before I decide to invest any time or capital into a negotiation with the United States. Uh, they could try to do one now with Trump, thinking he might be desperate because of COVID, desperate because of the economy. He could be tempted by a potential win on this. But I think the North Koreans have learned over time that, you know, with democracies like the United States, you can make a deal as they did with the Clinton administration. Uh, and then a new administration comes in and all of a sudden the deal doesn't mean anything anymore. And so I think, you know, they're going to kind of sit back now and wait for the results of our election. But in the meantime, you know, they're, you know, they're Koreans, so they're industrious people. They're not going to sit around on their, you know, on their butt and, and, and watch TV. <laughs> they're out there building these, these programs and uh, making real advances in them. As Joe said, I mean, what's so important about this facility is that it is the prerequisite to building you know, a, a massive, expansive ballistic missile program, you know, from everything from short range to these Hwasong-15 missiles. I mean, this is, you know, a, a support facility like this enables all of that to happen. And so it's a significant improvement in the foundation of their capability that will allow them to do much, much more into the future. So patient diplomatically, but certainly not stopping production and not stopping what they're doing to move forward to keep up with their program. Yeah, I think that's right. And then the question becomes, if they're patient and they're not willing to do diplomacy, aren't they hurting under the sanctions? And I think they are hurting under the sanctions, but at the same time, they've been willing to accept a lot of pain in the past. And then we just don't know what China's doing, right? We just don't know what kind of support China is providing to North Korea that's going that's going unreported that allows them to continue to take this really hard line and not succumb to the pressure of sanctions. You know, China has an interest in seeing the North Korean regime not get destabilized or not fall apart because of lack of supplies. I mean, at the same time, they don't like the missile programs either. They don't like the nuclear programs, but the thing they don't like more than those would be a collapse of the North Korean regime. And so, you know, they have an interest in keeping it afloat. Joe, what are you looking at next? That's an excellent question. I don't know if I want to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> I would say that um, to the listeners that this base and the previous uh, missile facilities that we've identified is part of an overall program of the Korea Chair to look at North Korea's WMD infrastructure. We've looked at several ballistic missile operating bases. We've looked at the Silly support facility. We're going to, and, and this is exclusive to the podcast, uh, our next report will be on North Korea's Pyongyang 
uranium concentrate plant, which is the primary producer of uranium ore for the nuclear program. And we well, have yeah. several ballistic missile operating bases that we're going to follow up after that. Well, this story is going to remain hot and you're going to hear it first here on The Impossible State. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. I look forward to talking in the weeks to come. Great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.